Hello, welcome to the Better Outcomes Show, where we explore the possibilities of a new healthcare. Each episode, we bring you a conversation with leaders across the healthcare industry, exploring topics ranging from new treatment techniques and interventions to novel service delivery methods and business models. And now your host, Rafi Salazar from Rehab U Practice Solutions, a leader in patient engagement and retention strategy. Let's explore the possibilities of a new healthcare. Well, hello again. Welcome to another episode of the Better Outcomes Show. I'm your host, Rafi Salazar from Rehab U Practice Solutions. Alrighty. Well, before we dive in this week, got some exciting news. I actually just received it from the publisher today that the book, Better Outcomes, A Guide for Humanizing Healthcare, will be available in physical copy a few weeks early. So instead of September, or October 6th, it will be now available September 20th. So a great team over at Business Experts Press, their marketing director, their uh, production manager, they're, they're just top notch over there. So look for that. You can uh, pre-order the book now. You can get a copy of the ebook or the Kindle version on Amazon, and I'll link to all that in the show notes. But the physical books will be available and should ship out. If you've ordered the, the pre-order of the book, it should ship out on September 20th. So excited about that. This week, we are talking with Anthony Meritato, Tony Meritato. He's a uh, physical therapist. And he runs, well, he has a private practice, Total Therapy Solutions, where he really focuses on treating individuals recovering from total knee replacement. But what he and I talk about is the way that he has built his business to withstand and really not be reliant or dependent on insurance payments or insurance reimbursement. And he's done that really by leveraging his knowledge and his skills and turning that into value in the form of either digital products or courses. So he runs a fairly popular uh, course called Zero to Paid. It's about learn, uh, learn Medicare billing for PT, OT, and speech language pathologists. That uh, you know, If you're in the PT, OT world in private practice, you have likely seen his stuff either on YouTube or Facebook. Um, he has a very large Facebook group, um, and I'll link to that in the show notes as well, all about uh, billing Medicare as an ancillary or a, a, a allied health service provider. So. Um, we'll link to all that, but what he has done and what we talk about is the way that any practice owner, any, uh, any clinician can really take their most valuable asset, which is not so much the technical skills of delivering XYZ treatment, right? It's not, um, I'm, I'm from, the, from the outpatient therapy world, so I'm going to use uh, some examples here, but this really pertains to all medical subspecialties, but um, I'm really good at physically assessing a shoulder, at doing any kind of manual therapy, providing exercises, X, Y, Z, people walk away from a treatment feeling good. Yeah, right, they say my shoulder feels better, it feels better than it was when it came in, or it doesn't hurt anymore, or whatever the, the case may be. But that in and of itself is not the most valuable thing that I as a clinician bring to any engagement with a patient. I say this a lot in the book. I say this a lot 
on here on the podcast, but the value that clinicians bring to any organization or encounter with a patient or a client is the knowledge that we have. You know, Bronnie Thompson mentioned it way early on in one of the early on episodes, I think we were in single digits back then, about how clinicians need to view themselves as, um, as having the main role of knowledge transfer instead of providing treatment. And Anthony has done that very much in his business and he's extended it beyond just providing knowledge transfer or knowledge and resources to patients or potential patients or clients, but he's also doing that for other clinicians, people that are trying to start a business, um, start a clinic and are are wondering how they're gonna get in network with Medicare and how do you bill Medicare and what are the steps. That's a lot of valuable information that people spend a lot of money (laughs) to do, right? Um, I know when I was starting, uh, when I was acquiring the practice here in Augusta Proactive, um, I looked into getting credentialed or credentialing the new EIN because we did an asset transfer. It was, uh, we didn't, we didn't assume the the EIN. Um, And we did, so we did an asset transfer. We were trying to get in network with all of the insurance companies that the the original practice was in network with, um, but it required basically credentialing from scratch. And I looked into it, and I think there was a there was an organization that was charging like 250 bucks per clinician per insurance panel to do credentialing. So I mean, if you're in network with you know 10 insurance companies, that's 2,500 dollars per clinician that you're looking at. At enrolling, that's a lot, a whole lot of money. Um, so, Anthony has taken his knowledge. He's been through it before. He's helped a lot of folks do it before, and he's turned that into a valuable resource or product that he can now sell to folks that not only saves them time and energy and money, but also passes on that skill. So, we're going to talk in this episode the bulk of our conversation really relies or or revolves around this idea of how do we as clinicians, as practice owners, do something one time and continue to get paid for it instead of trading our time for a set amount of money. So without any further ado, here is Tony Meritato talking about alternative forms of revenue and uh, knowledge products in healthcare. Well, hey, Anthony, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing really well. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you here. I want to talk with you about running a PT business, running it with alternative streams of revenue and all that kind of stuff. Before we do that, um, just give us a brief overview of who you are, your your background, and what brought you to, to doing what you're doing now. Yeah, I love it. And please call me Tony. So <laughs> while my name is Anthony on social media, I go by Tony. Um, I am a licensed physical therapist. I think it's important to share that information up front. A little bit of context. So I started back in 2000 as a personal training studio in Sarasota, Florida. So I grew up on Siesta Key. We were, you know, a block away from the beach. Um, There was no fitness center. There was no physical therapy. There was nothing. So I graduated from Penn State with a bachelor's in kinesiology. I was hungry to get into business. I had always been in business since childhood. And I just remember doing a um, internship at a YMCA that had a physical therapy clinic in it. And I had never heard of physical therapy my entire life to 18 years of age, 20 years of age. I had never heard of physical therapy. And I was like, what is this? And I totally fell in love. 
And the story I share is I talked to the clinical director who was a PT and I was like, Scott, how do I open my own physical therapy clinic? I'm graduating with a bachelor's in kinesiology. I want to own a physical therapy clinic. And he was like, well, first you become a physical therapist. So that was another three, five years. And then he's like, then you work for five years, you build professional referral relationships, you get to know the doctors, and then you go out on your own. And I was like, no chance I'm waiting another eight to 10 years to do this. So literally, I worked for the hospital for 12 months, I saved everything because I was living at home. Um, and then I signed a lease 800 square feet, I started doing personal training, I recruited a therapist, we started a physical therapy company six months in. And then we scaled and we grew to five clinic locations across two states. We grew the clinical team, the administrative team. We learned marketing. We developed an org board. Like we did all of the stuff. That therapist I recruited the first time actually is my wife. We have four beautiful boys. Um, we're getting ready to go fishing after the podcast, you know, but we knew from the beginning our goal was let's turn this into a business, right? We, we were the ones that were 6 a.m. in the clinic, 9 p.m. in the clinic, cleaning the toilets, stretching the hamstrings, doing all the stuff that you do when you're growing a business. But we knew that's not what we wanted. That's not the long-term plan. So we said, we're going to get married. We're going to have kids. We want to be home with our kids while they're young. We can always come back to the business when they grow up. And so we had that vision from the beginning, and that's what we focused on. Every decision came back to, does this move us toward more time freedom, or does this suck us back into the business? You know, can the business run without us? Can we be independent? Is it profitable enough? Um, so that's what we did. We, we grew, got to five locations. We sold one. We consolidated the other two. Now we're living in Ohio. Um, she's home full-time since our first son was born. She handles the stuff that she can do from home. I'm in the clinic a couple mornings a week. Since COVID, I have been the only licensed PT on staff. So I do all the evaluations, but I have my physical therapist assistants that do deliver all of the care. And, you know, we have a great model. I mean, it's yeah. one of those things where I try to convey, like, I'm not going to grow to a $10 million practice, but that's not what I want. I want freedom now. I want to have a solid base, a solid foundation. I want to make clinical decisions on what's best for the patient, not what's best for paying my mortgage. So we've built uh, revenue streams outside of patient care. And, and effectively, you know, we have a sustainable system. I don't need a nicer car. I don't want a better house. Like I'm very, very happy where I am. More money in my bank account doesn't help me as much as time with family. And so yeah. everything I talk about today is really going to be around that. It's going to be about maintaining and protecting the freedom, maintaining and protecting the passion for therapy and, you know, letting the business be a business. Yeah, no, that's awesome. I, there's a couple points I want to circle back to because I don't think it's, it's not very, very often that you hear somebody say, I want to own a PT clinic before they're a PT. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> start one. Um, I'm assuming in Florida, then it wasn't an issue, right? Or um, well, there are some states that require like you need to be licensed in that profession if you own it or something like that. That wasn't the case in Florida. Well, like most things, you know, you get into it and then you realize what you're allowed to do and not allowed yeah. to do. So we had started Total Therapy Solutions, the LLC. I was a 49% owner. Um, my partner, who's now my wife, she wasn't my partner at the time, or 
she wasn't my wife at the time. She owned 51%. So like, we didn't know, we just created an LLC and then we applied to Medicare and they're like, no, a, a non-therapist cannot be owner um, in this structure. And so, okay. So I gave up ownership. Now I don't care about the label. So technically yeah. she owned hundred percent of the physical therapy business, but it was inside of my personal training studio, you know? And so she, she would hire me, we'd work out the details that way. Um, it, it's one of those things that where there's a will, there's a way, obviously there's, there's always a way to make something like that work. Um, so yeah, we, we learned a lot of lessons. This is how, this is how green we were. Remember this is 2001. Yeah. We didn't have a fax machine inside of our facility. We would go across the street <laughs> to get faxes from the UPS store. Um, of course, like HIPAA compliance and all that stuff. We had no idea about anything, you know, and an interesting story is like, we first had no idea how to bill insurance because we were all cash pay. People don't realize that technically I started as all 100% yeah. pay. As we moved into insurance, we hired a biller and we're like, awesome, 5%, you know, we'll, we'll send all of our claims. She didn't collect a single penny. We lost $60,000 in that experience. The second yeah. biller to replace her was just as bad. It wasn't until the third biller that we realized, okay, now we've got somebody who understands billing for therapy services. Um, but we can never recoup the money that we lost. Yeah. If we didn't have the self-pay side of things, we would have been out of business. And like that redundancy of having a solid, what I'll call a cash cow, really has saved us multiple times. We had another situation where my main therapist down in Florida, we were out of Florida for a couple of years already, my wife and I, my main therapist who was really running the show wanted to buy the practice. We couldn't find the logistical way to make that happen. So he opened his own clinic. No problem. We don't do non-competes. We don't have any issue with that. I've always said, if you can do it better, go do it. Yeah. Of course, he opened his own clinic half a mile north of where my clinic was. And he tried to bring all of the staff with him. He tried to bring all of the patients with him. Yeah. And again, if they wanted to go, more power to him because he, you know, that's what he was doing. I don't fault him for that. But if we didn't have the other clinics, if we didn't have other sources of revenue, that would have put us out of business. We had to hire a traveler. Everyone knows travelers are horrible. Super expensive. Yeah, <laughs> super expensive. The patients weren't connecting with them. Um, we lost 50% of our revenue in a year with that transition, but I had other clinics to pick up the slack. When COVID hit, we had to shut everything down for two months, but we had the online presence that paid the bills and the real estate and the other stuff. So just like in patient care, um, we look for ways to make things work. We look for redundancies, we build capacity so that when a patient does something difficult, they don't get injured because they have more capacity than they need. It's the same principle in business. And that's the way we've always been. I never wanna be a one horse show or whatever the saying is, but yeah, um, you know, I, I think the best physical therapy clinic owner is not a physical therapist because we are so passionate and so connected to what we do that it's hard for us to separate hiring somebody who's good enough, you know, because yeah. nobody is ever going to be as good as you. But when you're not in the clinic, somebody has got to pick up the slack and, and to let that transition happen is really tough. Yeah. Yeah. Which is. Yeah, you know, I guess the the whole point of it, right? Like the 
what is it about technical founders or I think you have you yeah. read the e-myth like the whole idea yep, of like yep. somebody has like an entrepreneurial seizure and they go into doing business and they're like oh I'm a, not really a business owner I just want, I'm a really good craftsman right? right like I want to do the craft and the craft is really really important and it's hard to let go of that quality like the idea of minimal viable product some people are like yeah. that's unbelievable I, I mean it's our baby you know and and we were good at what we did that's what put us in that position to go into business for ourselves but then to think that we can hire somebody and and they're going to be as good or better than we were it's just not going to happen but we also don't want to like every time i leave the clinic i see an 80 or 20 percent drop in production that's what happens but i have to know in the back of my head that my team is still the best team in the city anybody coming to us is still going to get the best experience compared to anywhere else they would go it might not be as good as the experience they get with me, but I will exchange that so that I have freedom to be outside and be with my kids and, you know, go camping and fishing and do all the stuff that we do. Um, and, and that's why I said kind of creating that divide between that's the business. I'm going to operate the business as a business owner versus this is my hobby. I'm going to treat patients because I enjoy treating patients. Yeah. Don't confuse the two. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and there's something to be said too, about like the, just splitting between the the business owner's piece and then like almost like a vocational piece, you know, like my grandfather was a vascular surgeon and he had his surgical practice, but he was there all the time. And it's because that's what, yeah. you know, he, he felt like he wanted to do, he wanted to do it. He obviously had a certification that like not a lot of people had, but at the same time, when it came time to do family stuff, he was like, all right, we're shutting it down. It's Friday. We're leaving at noon because that's what we're going to do to spend time with the family. And you need to be able to have that separation. Now, tell me a little bit about um, just some of those alternative revenue streams that you've developed, because that obviously helps things like, and we can talk about it later, about um, the type of care you provide and how you lose money when you're treating as a, <laughs> as a physical therapist versus working as a business owner. So what kind of alternative revenue streams have you developed? So for us, now I come from an entrepreneurial family to begin with. My mom came here from South America. She was born and raised in Colombia. Um, when she came to the U.S., she came into New York City and she started a, a garment business. Um, my dad was always involved in business. So just, you know, my nature is I just love the creative aspect of business. Um, so for us, real estate was always an important component. Like most people probably watching, we I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I read E-Myth. I read multiple uh, real estate books and the ideas behind how, you know, you have the benefits of leverage, you have a hard asset, you have depreciation. So we had always wanted to own the building that we put our physical therapy clinics in. So we started to accumulate real estate probably back around 2006, 2003, 2006. A great story. So we had already owned the physical therapy clinics for a couple of years. I decided to go back to physical therapy school to get my master's in PT. Um, I went back in 2003. We were opening a third location. Uh, when I went to school, we, we, I found a condo that was a two bedroom condo. We bought the condo, right? We're like, instead of renting, we'll just buy. This was in South Florida, Miami. I went to FIU. And so the mortgage was paid for by my roommate. 
the property had appreciated while I was in school. We sold right below before the bubble burst in 2008. I think I graduated in 2000, end of 2005, beginning of 06. I made an $80,000 profit going to PT school because my business paid for the tuition. It was in-state tuition. We sold the property for an $80,000 appreciation and the mortgage was paid by my roommate, which was fair market value rent. You know, so like those are the kinds of things that just we want to look for. Um, But yeah, so the main thing for us, real estate is a huge component within our portfolio Um, because we tend to be a little more risk averse. I certainly don't have an aggressive investment plan from stocks, no cryptocurrency in there of any (laughs) kind. Uh, I just love business. So between what we do in real estate, between Florida and Ohio, what we do with digital products, um, we do about six figures, low six figures, but six figures across digital products, online courses, things like that. And then what we do in terms of building like websites, passive income through affiliate income and advertising and things like that, that's the smallest piece. But I do think that's going to be the biggest piece over the next two to three years for us. I genuinely believe building these niche websites, which I would never have said this five years ago, um, is probably going to replace all of the other income that we've got coming in just because of the upside opportunity. And that's really what we try to do. You know, when you and I treat a patient, we get paid for that hour of our life. We never get paid for that hour of our life again. So we have a limited upside because it's whatever the the payment is going to be. And we have a huge downside because we're going through insurance and then all of a sudden something goes wrong or three years later, they do an audit and they determine that this was not medically necessary. We have all of this downside risk, very limited upside risk. Whereas if I create a website, I create content. I know you have some successful websites. It is virtually unlimited upside with very little or limited downside risk, you know, and and those are the opportunities that I'm looking for. If I put a YouTube video out, I probably get nothing for it, but I could make $10,000 for it. You know, whereas if I deliver an hour of therapy, hundred bucks profit, 200, even if I do $500, like that's it, it's never going to generate any more income other than that hour of time that I dedicated. Yeah. Well, and even so you're building, it's the pickleball website, right? Like there's the pickleball website. There's the Medicare home therapy directory website. There's my clinic website, my learn Medicare billing website. And then we have a handful of little guys that are kind of seeds in the ground waiting to sprout. Yeah. I I was following your online when you're posting kind of the multiples that some of these websites are selling for, and it, it is astronomical. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I was looking at it thinking like, there's no way that this is this is real life. But I mean, I, I went to go try to look and see about purchasing a couple. I was like, holy smokes, like these are the real deal prices for a, a website that is not generating a whole lot. Like you said, it's a small amount of revenue, two, three thousand dollars a month or something like that. And they're selling for what, like 40, 50, 60,000 or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. It almost makes you think like just from the just from the standpoint of building these little digital assets, like having multiple of them in different niches or, or subspecialties would be a very valuable thing <laughs> down the line, and, right? And, and like a great example for somebody listening to this is like, 
Okay, so we know reimbursements declining in the conventional model, the third-party payer model. We know regulation is increasing in the third-party payer model. So it's like, how can I do what I want to do? Well, what if you dedicated 20, 30% of your time to creating content across one or two smaller websites that you know you're going to turn over for a $50,000 exit? You know, if I do two of those websites a year, $50,000 each, that's $100,000 in income for 20% of my time. The other uh, 80% of my time I could dedicate to other things, including patient care. I've replaced a clinical salary with the content that I'm producing, which for some people, it's enjoyable. I think yeah. for, for a huge population, it's helpful. There's tons of people who are never going to see a therapist who will never hear your perspective. We are in such a small bubble, you, me, the people that are on Facebook. Um, the majority of patient care is very vanilla, very bland. They're doing the same stuff they did 25 years ago. You know, So for us to bring our voice, Google is always looking for a unique perspective. Google will prioritize that. And, and I know you know this, but for the listeners, when Google is looking at expertise, authority, and trustworthiness, we have that immediately with our licensure. We have such a massive advantage in the general population for getting information out to the consumer. Um, it really is a shame. Like I see all of the clinical knowledge and skill inside a therapist's head. And I'm like, that is worth so much money. Yeah. If you could just tilt your head and pour it out <laughs> onto a screen, it's just unreasonable, but you know, we can't do it. Why can't we do it? Cause we're stuck in the clinic with patient care and calling physicians and following up on insurance and doing all of the low value activities that that is why we say, I can build a blog post. I can do a video that could generate five or $10,000 over the lifetime of that, that episode, or I can do a $200 patient care visit. I'm going to lose money on that every single time. Yeah. Yeah. It goes back to, I've said this multiple times, but and I said it to you a little bit off the air here, but yeah. like the value that clinicians have is not in our hands or our, even our technical skills. It's the, it's the knowledge that we have viewing ourselves as knowledge translators. And then, okay, how do we monetize that knowledge, right? So blog posts, courses, that kind of stuff is, like you said, you can sell it over and over and over again. I've got a, a clinician who she's about to retire. So she's been with, with the company since 2011 or 2000. Yeah. 2011, when they started the company before I bought it, she's been a therapist for 34 years or something like that. One of the best therapists that I know, and she's going out and she's retiring. And there's like part of me that's like, man, if I could just take what you have and bottle it up before you leave to train other clinicians to, you know, patient education, even like the amount of value that's there, that's like walking out the door <laughs> to retirement is, is pretty sad sometimes. So talking about that, and, and this has been kind of one of my main focuses over the last year to two years, um, almost every single time I talk to a clinician, and they want to go into private practice or they want to grow or they want to scale. I, I think we can all agree. Like I've said publicly, I'm probably never going to hire another therapist to grow my business because to be dependent on the license of a physical therapist puts me in a very risky, vulnerable position. And I believe that I can provide far more value, reach more people taking the knowledge, productizing the knowledge and delivering it directly to the consumer without the therapist. 
Yeah. I know that's not a popular opinion, but that's where I am. But so when I talked to a therapist who was like, I need to grow, I've got too many patients, what do I do? My general advice today, which is different than it was 10 years ago is don't think about hiring. Don't think about growing a team. Don't think about, you know, the stuff that I would have told you to do. What if you could productize the knowledge that you share every single day with your actual patients? So um, I love the idea. Now I've been doing this for a little over a year. I'm a CI, but I'm mostly a virtual CI. So students will come on through Zoom just like this or through a HIPAA compliant platform. Um, and they'll follow me around with my patient caseload. And so while they're not necessarily, because I tell them, I'm like, look, you guys aren't going to learn the, the latest manual therapy technique from me. You're probably not even going to learn anything clinical from me that you're going to take into the future. But what you're going to learn from me is the ability to communicate. Yeah. You're going to be able to get into my head for an hour and be like, why did he do that? Why did he say that? Why did he tell this to this patient, but something completely different to a different patient for the same scenario? Like they're going to get the real experience of seeing me in a clinic. When a patient walks in my door, I haven't gone into an exam room more than five times in the last three years. We go straight into treatment, even though I've never met this individual because I can collect what I need during the intervention, right? So I, I have a different approach to patient care. I'm not saying it's a better or worse. I'm just saying it's different. So for a student to come in and see me, and then potentially see you an hour later, and then go to a pelvic floor therapist an hour after that, there's massive value. So what I'm trying to do is with the appropriate HIPAA compliant media releases, get therapists to document what they actually do. You know, Gary V says it best, like don't create content, just document. Yeah. There are point of view videos on YouTube that have millions of views. So document the patient interaction and then sell access to that patient interaction. So for $10, a student, a new grad therapist, an experienced therapist who wants to go from skilled nursing to outpatient could join me and watch me do an initial evaluation for a total knee replacement, right? So pretty reasonable. I think $10 yeah. is worth an hour of my, my access. And if you look at that and you say, okay, without that, I would have made a hundred bucks. Now with 10, I, I just made, you know, $200 with 10 a month I, for 12 months, I made $1,200. Like the value in that experience is never going to diminish and it can be resold multiple times. Not to mention you open the door to an OT can come and see what a PT does. A PT yeah. can see what an OT does an LMT and ATC. Like there are so many people, or what about just the consumer? What about if a person is sitting at home, they don't have access to services. Maybe they're in a different, did my, oh no, never mind. Maybe they're in a different country. And so now all of a sudden that person halfway across the world for $10 could see how a physical therapist treats a patient who just had a total knee replacement for the first time. It's not treatment to them, but at least it gives them access to see what we did. The, yeah. the, the opportunity here is just ridiculous. Now, why don't we do that? Why isn't everybody doing that? I think it's because we're not used to doing that. You know, there's still a lot of us that are uncomfortable on video. There's still a lot of insecurity. I am insecure recording my patient treatments because I know they could be better. That makes yeah. me feel bad. 
you have but colleagues have or something get, that's like, why are you doing that treatment? <laughs> yeah, but I have to get over my own insecurity to help somebody else do a better job. You know, I tell my students, I'm like, look, you don't have to do what I do. You could hate what I do. But if you take the lesson of I'm never going to do what he did, that will make you a better therapist. You know, so yeah. there, there's just an unreasonable number of ways to increase monetization, to increase revenue streams. We just have to use our creative brain. We use it in patient care. We need to take it and use it in business. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. I, I started kind of the same idea of like, okay, we need alternative revenue streams. My original thought was like, even if it's just something that like covers the mortgage or the lease on the building or whatever it is, it helps. Right. And in a world yeah. of declining, declining reimbursement, like you said, where the regulations going up, administrative burdens going up, money's going down, like anything that you can do, do to kind of relieve the pressure, even if you don't want to go full bore into, you know, creating courses and membership sites and all that kind of stuff, every little bit helps in a, in a low margin business, right? Exactly. It does. And, and then again, you've got, you know, I know we used to back in the day, we'd buy like supplies and sell supplies. The problem with that is you've got Amazon that can do it a thousand yeah. times better. So that's where I got into the Amazon affiliate program. And um, there, there's just technology has made income, you know, acquisition so easy these days. Yeah. Yeah. I will say that we did. <laughs> so our, our clinic is proactive rehabilitation and wellness. And I was tired of spending like 150 bucks every couple of weeks buying kinesiology tape. So I, I did go to, to the, one of the factories over in China and had them create some for us. It's called yeah. pro tape. And it was like maybe a thousand bucks or 500 rolls. Like it was super cheap. And now we've got a, a wall full of, <laughs> of, of therapy product. And we do sell it occasionally on, uh, at the, at the, you know, at point of sale for the yeah. patients that come in. But at the same time, it was more of like a, a cost benefit, play for me too. It saved us on some ex, uh, expenses that we would have normally spent, you know, triple for or quadruple for. Um, yeah, there was a time like putting it on FBA, right? By Amazon. <laughs> there was a time a couple of years ago where we were doing tons of tens units. We weren't, we weren't billing for tens in the clinic. We weren't utilizing tens as part of active patient care. So I'm like, you know what? People love tens. My opinion of tens makes no difference. Yeah. People want it. They're looking to buy it. If I know that it's not harmful, I mean, I'm going to stock them. So we bought a couple hundred tens units at $15 a piece. We were selling them for between 50 and a hundred dollars a piece. Um, and, and so like those little things, high value, low risk, low cost. Those are the things that we want to look for. Those are the opportunities that help defray the pressure of, I, I need three more minutes to get one more yeah. billable unit. You know, like that's not the position any of us ever want to be in. Yeah. Well, and we've mentioned this a little bit before too, but like that kind of stems or, or points back to like our idea of patient care. And as clinicians, you know, the, the relationship is very important. This whole idea of like building one-on-one -on -one relationships with a patient and spending the right amount of time and you're saying rightly so like there is this pressure because of the the minutes and the time like oh man i need to see you for four more minutes or three more minutes to get an extra bump in revenue right um, and there are clinicians that kind of swing back like the pendulum goes the, the opposite direction right and we were talking before off air like if it wasn't for the fact that 
there was a market demand for, you know, vanilla or conveyor belt or whatever high volume clinics, they wouldn't exist. Right. Um, and sometimes I find this a lot, even in my own thinking and writing, you know, I've got this book coming out about humanizing healthcare, that there's almost in the back of your mind as a clinician, this idea that, um, if it's not personal to this, to the extent that you want, it's wrong. Right. (laughs) And it's very easy to like rag on these, these big PT clinics that are running chains because they're, they're cranking people through. But there is a point at which we need to kind of remove ourselves from that, right? Like, it's not so much a reflection on us or or even like our opinions, like you said, whether or not we think it's right or wrong or whatever, as long as it's not harmful. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've I've got this shirt, right? This is a mass produced shirt. This shirt is good enough. It satisfies the need for what I want it for. Yes, I could go get a custom tailored, custom made shirt for $500 but I don't need it. You know, I, I can go to like, there's casual dining, there's fast food, there's a premium. Like when my wife and I are going to celebrate an anniversary, we're going to spend a couple hundred dollars on dinner. It's not about the food. It's about the experience. And, and part of that is paying the premium price for that experience. On the flip side, if we're between football games and we need to put food in our belly, we're going to go through Chick-fil-A or, or Chipotle or something like that at a fraction of the cost. Yeah. And so as we better understand what it is the consumer actually wants, what it is the payer is actually paying for, you know, I always say like, who's the customer? If I'm a, if I'm a Medicare provider, which I am, and Medicare is paying the bill, Medicare is the customer. The patient is the recipient of what Medicare is paying me to do, but make no mistake, the patient is not my customer. Medicare is my customer. Medicare sends me the 1099 at the end of the year. Medicare pays the bill. Medicare has very clear, distinct guidelines on what it is that they pay for. And the longer I've researched and studied Medicare, the more I kind of realized Medicare doesn't pay for physical therapy service. Medicare pays me to do what the Medicare guidelines state. And most of that is evaluation, education, Uh moving toward independence, even in the situation where the therapist will say, which is very true, Medicare covers maintenance, yes. Medicare pays for us to reduce or slow the decline, yes. But Medicare doesn't pay me to rub somebody's back to make them feel better. And as you go through the Medicare guidelines, there's very little, I would say none, but very little that talks about pain, but most of my patients are coming for pain resolution. Yeah. You know, now am I, I am not a therapist that resolves pain. And I I tell my patients very clearly from day number one, I cannot fix your pain. Your pain is associated with far more variables than the mechanical stuff that somebody has told you. So I can make you function better with pain. I probably cannot eliminate your pain. So if you want pain elimination, I'm probably not the best therapist for you. If you want to be healthier, if you want to move better, if you want to eat well and sleep better, this is the place, you know? And so there are patients that come to my clinic solely because they want an MRI. They genuinely believe that doing physical therapy will cause bodily harm to them, but they need an MRI in their mind. And so nothing is gonna, you know, I'm not gonna talk them out of that. I have to treat that patient very differently than the patient who comes to me, because we get these two, 
who are like, if it doesn't hurt, it's not effective, right? You have the patient that if you hurt them one iota, they're never coming back. And then you have the other patient who's like, well, that was too easy. It's supposed to hurt. I want you to make it hurt. Dig in deeper, do this harder. So our best kind of way to approach this is one, you establish your treatment philosophy. What is it that you actually do? What is important to you? What is the service that you want to sell? Don't try to serve everybody. I, I refer far more people that come to our clinic out than I ever have in my 21 years of private practice ownership, you know, because we used to treat everybody. Now we treat very few of the people who are coming to see us, but though that small community does insanely well, we never have cancellations. We never have no-shows or drop-offs, you know, and it's like Seth Godin and others have said, like, we have found our tribe. We've found our smallest viable audience and and we work relentlessly to help and support them. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I I totally like that idea of of referring folks away. So we have we're just bringing on somebody speaking of hiring and you would never hire to grow your business. We just brought somebody on who's a pelvic floor therapist. Right. But prior to that, when we were referring everybody, we were like, listen, like, and that was like, that's a very clear distinction. I think it's very easy for therapists to say, okay, I don't have this certification. So I'm going to refer you to somebody else. But then on the side of like treatment philosophy, and I've had conversations like that with patients too. Like, listen, my job is to help you overcome your pain, but not eliminate it. Like you will be, right. you're, we're going to teach you how to live well, despite the pain that you're experiencing. Right. And if you want something else, you know, I can make you a referral to, to this person or that person or this clinician. But I mean, the idea of, I'm sure there's plenty of, of private practice PTs out there that, that heard you say, I refer more people out than I treat and are freaking out. <laughs> like, yeah. but what are we going to do without the patients? We need the volume, right? And it goes back to that bringing in more, more revenue streams. Like if you're in a position where you don't need to treat, then you can. You can do what is best for the patient regardless of the monetary incentives, right? And, and I was there, you know, like, I don't want anybody to think that it's always been like this. The first 10 years, 15 years of our practice, if I saw a therapist with a 30 minute open spot on their schedule, I felt like I wanted to throw up because I was like, how am I going to afford this as a yeah. practice owner? I understand those pressures, but earlier today on Facebook, I said, it's like going grocery shopping when you're starving, you make bad decisions you need to have that revenue coming in so that you don't make decisions based on revenue because you've got more than enough coming in in a stable stream a stable source so that and it took us 15 probably years to really get to that point um now like the clinic operates i'm not going to pretend to say that it's it's ultra profitable and i do think most clinic owners on a smaller scale, don't really understand how, how low their profitability is. You know, I would say like on a good day we're we're making a 3% margin, but that's because I'm taking into account. Not only am I the owner, um, maybe treating patients or doing evals, like I said earlier, but I'm also the one literally cleaning the bathroom. Sometimes I'm also the one hiring and firing, you know, I'm managing HR. I'm also the one doing the accounting. I'm, so if I had to hire all of those positions out as if it was a real business, like there's no profitability left yeah. in the world of physical therapy for me, 
it's still profitable because I own the building. So it's helping to pay down the mortgage. It's still profitable because we do the, the billing in-house and we have the administrative team to do the billing. You know, and it, it functions as a platform for me to come on a podcast like this with you and to teach my Medicare billing course and to do these other things. So there, we have to see the big picture, but generally speaking, I think most small practice owners overvalue the profitability of their business. I just saw somebody saying today that they're 20% profit margins. I'm like, really? Because what would you be paying a CEO who wasn't you? Yeah, like, are you that. taking into account that cost? You know, what would you be paying all of these other things that you're doing naturally that any other therapist wouldn't wouldn't be doing? So I, I just think that we we don't necessarily look at the real cost of operating a PT clinic. Yeah. Yeah, well, and I, I think you get some of that. You've obviously been through selling uh, a practice, but when a, an acquirer or potential acquirer is looking at your business, they're adding all that back in. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's where that adjusted uh, earnings comes from. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then, and then you really see, I worked 20 years and this is all it's worth. Yeah. Like that's a shocking realization. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, well, we're getting near the top here. Um, I always end with this. So if there's one or two main points you would want a clinician or a business owner, practice owner to walk away with from the episode, what would they be? I think the main thing is, you know, take from what you do naturally as a therapist in patient care and apply that to the business, build that resilience, build that capacity so that your business can weather almost any hit because it has redundancies. You know, if I lose activation of my bicep, I've got other musculature that's going to kick in and allow me to flex the elbow, flex the shoulder. We need the same thing in the business so that if all of a sudden I can't treat patients in real life because of a pandemic, I flip to an online and I've replaced the, the money that I'm losing. Um, that, that's the number one thing, find a, a different source of income so that you're not dependent on one source, which in most cases is patient care. Yeah. Alrighty. Well, where can people find out about you, your work, the Medicare course, all of that good stuff? Yeah. So if you guys want to check out one of the websites, it's learnmedicarebilling.com. I've got a bunch of articles that I'm putting up there every day. Um, you can find me on Facebook. Just look for Anthony Maritato on Facebook. I try to be super responsive and I'm, you know, living in that community most of the time. But and then, of course, YouTube. So YouTube channel, Learn Medicare Billing on YouTube. Those are my three primary outlets. Awesome. Cool deal. Well, thanks for your time, Tony. Have a good one. Thanks for having me. Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Tony uh, Maritato about building resilience in your business, adding alternative streams of revenue. You know, it's funny, I was following uh, Tony. He told me to call him Tony, but everything everything online, Tony says Anthony. So <laughs> I was following him online and we mentioned this, we talked about it back in the show that some of these websites are selling for like multiples of 30 times net revenue. I mean, it's crazy to me that you could potentially build yourself a nice little you know, niche website, maybe in your specialty area, 
Um, maybe you're you're selling or you're you're doing affiliate marketing in your articles or something like that, but it gets a little bit of a following, and you you're generating I don't know a couple hundred bucks a month in ad revenue on that website, and you could potentially exit that, or when you go to sell your business, if you if it's part of your clinic or your practice, and you go to sell it, I mean that is a digital asset. Um, it's a real asset that your business owns that gets thrown into or worked into that deal that could potentially give you a whole lot more money on or in the event of a sale. It's just crazy to me. And some of the, the multiples are, are nuts to me, especially in in healthcare where it is a very much so and without getting too nerdy about it all, but Google is, very, is changing yet again um, how they're going to serve up search results you know that i think they their algorithm changes all the time i think it changed like 180 times last year or something like that like every couple of days something's going out but they have a big policy change that's going to prioritize or give more weight to credentialed or licensed professionals in specific fields and healthcare is one of them i guess it's it's part of their way of ensuring that the the search results that that pop up when somebody uh, a user is on their site searching for information are more likely to be reliable and by putting forth or serving up more results from licensed professionals they have a higher chance of not running into some Joe Schmo running a blog about back pain right you could potentially get a, a physical therapist or a chiropractor or an osteopath writing an article about back pain and how to treat it effectively and hopefully that information is more evidence-based it's more useful and valuable to the to the user or the reader but that could help a lot of us in the healthcare field who have you know i know my practice has a um a health resource blog i know most of the practices that i work with have some sort of mechanism for delivering insights and the idea has always been like maybe it'll help a little bit with seo and and digital marketing maybe you can share it around and kind of show some expertise and people will will follow up and you know maybe it'll prompt them to 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 schedule an appointment or something like that um with the taking the angle of using your website as a digital asset and building in not only revenue streams from ads or affiliate links or something like that but then also this change in google that's going to hopefully begin serving a lot of us a lot better serving our um, our licensed and professional and medical insights to to readers. I mean, it could be a potential uh, a windfall for for any healthcare provider who's not only using their website to market their their practice, but also using their website with the hopes of building an asset that will add value in the event of an exit or you know, even as as Tony mentioned, something that can offset the cost of a decline in reimbursement. I mean, if you're bringing in a few thousand dollars a month in uh, ad revenue or affiliate sales or affiliate income or something like that, that helps when you hit a low month or when um, Blue Cross Blue Shield decides that they're going to drop their <laughs> drop their reimbursement rate by a few bucks per visit, right? So, anyways, that's all exciting. I'm going to link to all of Tony's websites, his YouTube channel, um, his zero to paid course, all of that stuff in the show notes. You can find that at www.betteroutcomes.show or go to rehabupracticesolutions.com 
click on the insights tab and there's a drop down for the podcast you can go there and if you like the show um, head on over to iTunes leave us a rating or review helps people find us um, other than that that's all I've got I think over the next couple weeks we'll be focusing a little bit more on I've got the book coming out obviously um, so probably what we'll end up doing is some interviews with folks around the idea of personalizing or humanizing healthcare. I've got to line some of that stuff up and see if the stars align in the skies to make some of those interviews work out. But hopefully um, that'll be the next couple episodes that we do. We'll all be on how do we humanize healthcare? How do we take healthcare from this thing that we do um, to to something that we are. And I mean that more in the sense of healthcare for a long time was viewed as a, a vocation or a calling, if you would, as opposed to a safe, stable, secure job. And um, I remember having conversations with my grandfather. My grandfather was a vascular surgeon. He, and he was chief vascular surgeon, I think at Miami Dade Hospital or something like that when they lived down there. Um, and he, he had done a lot, and by the time I came around and was old enough to kind of realize what was going on with everything, um, I was spending the summers up there in his private practice in Ohio, and he had a, a small private practice. It was him, my grandmother, and I think they maybe had two or three support staff. And um, it was a vascular surgery practice. that He was doing a lot of varicose vein treatments and, and that sort of thing. Um, and I remember having a conversation with him about what I wanted to do. And my grandfather was very much one of those people that was always asking me questions like that, getting you to getting you to think. Right. Um, and he asked me, well, what do you want to do when you're, um, as a career? Like, what do you want to do when, when you're not in school anymore is how he phrased it. And I said, well, you know, I, I thought about maybe med school. I thought about this, that, or the other. And he got very serious and paused and said, listen, it's very important if you choose if you choose any career, it needs to be something that is not something that you do, but part of who you are and how it works and how that job or that career fits into your life is very important. And I'm not, that's not to say that you can't go into healthcare unless you feel called there, but you need to definitely see a higher purpose. This ties back into some of the, the retention and the recruitment uh, talk of the last couple episodes, like employees want to feel that their work has value, has meaning, has purpose. One of my favorite quotes from The Alchemist is, uh, no matter who they are, what he does, every man or every person plays a central role in the history of the world. And sometimes he doesn't know it yet. How many people are walking through their life just not aware of the, the real value and the real purpose behind their work, right? So anyways, he was I remember my grandfather having this discussion with me about healthcare for him, you know, going into med school, going to vascular surgery was very much the, the career itself was not the calling or not the vocation so much as it was him living out his purpose. He wanted to serve. He wanted to help people. He wanted to help people get better. And medical school was how he decided to do that, you know? Um, and I remember having this conversation with him like eight or nine years old. I was not you know, mature enough to really grasp the impact of it until later looking back. But healthcare for a long time has 
really just seen a slow decay into a series of processes or procedures or something that's calculable on a spreadsheet as opposed to a real human connection where you have one person who is skilled in the art of healing, as I like to say, that's the clinician, meeting another person who's on their own unique road to recovery. And everything we talk about here on the show that I work with clients at Rehab You, like this idea of the biopsychosocial model and the approach of individualizing healthcare stems from this idea that ultimately healthcare is a human experience, a human interaction. So hopefully over the next few episodes, we'll kind of spend some time talking a little bit about that with some exciting guests. Um, Until the next time, folks, be safe, be healthy. I will talk to you then. Thanks for listening to the Better Outcome Show, where we explore the possibilities of a new healthcare. Our hope is that you walk away from each episode informed, equipped, and empowered to push the boundaries in your own practice or business. We want to give you the tools to help you build strong, long-lasting relationships with your patients and clients, helping meet their goals, improve their health, and achieve better outcomes. Learn more at www.RehabUPracticeSolutions.com. We'll catch you on the next episode.